1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
0: Got to tell you, I'm kind of digging the vibes surrounding this particular All-Star break. As the MLB draft has been shoehorned into the All-Star break, and you've got round one of the draft tonight, an attempted made-for-television event. But we will talk about that in an hour or so with Kevin Goldstein from Fangraphs. Um, also today, the Futures game starts at 2 p.m. Central Time this afternoon. You can see it on MLB Network if you're out and about driving or if you just like the call of a good, crisp radio play-by-play man. Check out Mike Ferrin on Sirius XM. You hear him on Diamondbacks broadcast, but today he gets the Futures game and we get him this morning before his day begins. Good morning, Mike Farron. Welcome to Hit and Run. How you doing today, buddy?
2: Well, I'm good, but that's the first time I've ever had the words good
0: or crisp uh, involved with anything that I've done. So. <laughs> Just take it. Just take it. Are, are, you, exci- <laughs> are you excited you for this? Is this your first Futures yeah. game? Forgive me. No, no, no.
2: This is the, I think the first one I did was actually 2010. Oh, so that was like Mike Trout, Eric Hosmer. Uh, um, Mike Trout didn't start the game and only came in for Dominic Brown for his hamstring in the first inning. Like that's how long ago we've been doing futures games. So this is I think the, I guess that makes the 11th since we didn't have one last year. It's great. Oh, I wish they hadn't hadn't shortened it to seven innings the last two years, but um, but it's still it's great. And the American League squad in particular this year is just loaded with like premium prospects.
0: Yeah, 15 of the top 100 prospects in the game are on the American League side. 16 on the National League side, too. But the American League, you got the two Seattle guys, uh, Kalenic and Julio Rodriguez. You've got Adley Rutschman, the catcher. You've got Spencer Torkelson. You've got Bobby Witt Jr., all those guys in the American League, right? Loaded.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is. And you get uh, Jason Dominguez, who is maybe the most hyped international free agent that's ever signed. And he, he's basically played a week's worth of games in the U S in his career. And those are all the complex league. over the last week. He'll be mm-hmm. making kind of his, it'll be kind of his coming out party, I guess, in a lot of respects. So it's really kind of cool that we get to see Dominguez on the field with him too. And you know, for, for Sox fans, you know, the is on the, on the uh, American league roster and for Cub fans, Brennan Davis, and Manuel Rodriguez are on it. And I think Brennan Davis is starting today too.
0: So, 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 so loaded. Um, so, so, um, boy, so, so all these years of seeing those kids, that's exciting to get in this early, Mike. Um, you know, it, it take us in your mind in the last decade, like just tell me some times where you're like, oh, my God, look at that guy or that guy is going to be great. And then you just kind of knew it along the way.
2: Um, when Doerr hit a leadoff home run, I think it was in Phoenix, at the, at the Futures game. It was at
0: Phoenix. I can't remember what
2: year it was, but Lindor hit a leadoff home run on, like, the third pitch of the game. And that was one of those where you're like, oh, wow. Like, it was incredible. I'll, I'll tell you what, when when we saw Aloy Jimenez in San Diego, that was – he put on a good show. He actually made a great defensive play. I remember. having over the railing and foul territory. It was sick. But he and Moncada were both in that game, and Moncada hit a ball into, like, the third deck in left field in San Diego. So – those are a couple of guys that stand out just just right off the top of the head. I mean, obviously seeing Harper, you know, seeing Trout, seeing so many of these guys. I think, you know, you can put like the, the best individual performances have been guys like Use Diaz, hit a pair of homers, you know, in in eighteen and um, I think there was Hosmer had a poor hit game and you go back down and list to some of the MVPs of this and it's like, Oh yeah, I remember them. They were a prospect for a hot minute. But th- it's really fun and there's so much talent on the field. It's so worth listening to or
0: watching. So yeah, I remember that Eloy Jimenez catch. I think it was in right field. Um, it's so because and at the time we were like, oh my god, Eloy, he can do everything. And then he comes up and you're like, oh my god, how did this guy end up being such a butcher in the outfield? We had we had absolutely. Um, no idea. Um, the, the other job that, um, that Mike Farron does with the Diamondbacks, let me ask you about, before we get back to the futures, let me ask you about a couple guys in the Diamondbacks who the White Sox may or may not trade for. Um, everybody happy for Eduardo Escobar with that franchise, making his first all-star game. Is that, uh, is, is is that somebody who would help a team an awful lot defensively as well as offensively in the middle? Yeah. I mean, I think,
2: I think his defensive versatility is really important. I mean, it's, not going to be a high on base guy it's going to be a pretty aggressive hitter but it's one with power and you know he's he's a pretty good candidate for 30 and 100 again this year um if we want to go old school on the rbi team but yes. I, I think it actually benefits him with men in scoring position because he is a little bit aggressive and so um yeah i mean he can play he plays a solid enough third i think he's played a decent second base this year too but really it's the bat and then the, the, he's just one of the best clubhouse guys in baseball and i think you know, anybody who was with the Sox organization when Escobar first came to the big league knows that when they traded him to to Minnesota, it was, there were a lot of people who were really disappointed. He really didn't have much time in the big because he's such a quality person in the big.
0: Mm. And um, uh, uh, as Drupal Cabrera, the, the what what do we think about this Drupal Cabrera and his utility these days?
2: Well, he just went back on the injured list yesterday with a hamstring strain. It's the second time he's had an issue with his hamstring. Um,
0: he's played a pretty good
2: third base. He got off to a great start this year. Um, and then after he came back from the first injury, he really struggled for a time and was just starting to get back into a groove in the last week or so when he goes down again. So, you know, I don't know what that's going to look like. I mean, he's obviously the cost of acquisition is going to be out, out pretty low on yes. Um yes. I would think that he's, you know, he, there are a lot of the qualities that he has um, in terms of leadership, teammate all the stuff that I just talked about with Escobar, but yeah. he's probably more of a reserve. than. Whereas Escobar, you can play every day.
0: Um, and then Cattell Marte, would they really part with Cattell Marte, who is such a phenomenal player, multiple positions, flexible, and really just, just, just still growing and evolving into what he's going to be? Is he yeah. really on the block?
2: No, he's not. G- good. I mean, my right? understanding is they've been telling people, yeah, I mean, they've been telling people, you know, like, not now. Like, we're, we're not interested in, in doing anything. He's got a really team-friendly deal with one more year plus two club options, and the club options are a total of $18 million. And if you look at his value on the field and where, where he grades out and where the organization grades him out, one, there's only a handful of teams that could potentially make a deal for a player with that much control at that few dollars who's that good, and those teams would be talking about moving like a top-five prospect in all of baseball in order to get him. So nice. it just, it's just, I mean – His value for three and a half years is off the charts, but he needs to get back on the field too. He's had two hamstring injuries this year as well, and it's been a really difficult year for him uh, because when he's been on the field, he's been brilliant.
0: It's Mike Farron who is uh, the voice of the Arizona Fall League the voice of MLB Futures game and, uh, and also a fine host on Sirius as you hear throughout, uh, throughout the week uh, with Jim Duquette there in the middays um, Mike, it, it, Garrett Cole with 129 pitches last night and finishes off the Astros Lucas Giolito with his best game since Sticky Stuff Enforcement yesterday threw a ton of sliders to go along with change-ups and placement has been better. It's interesting some guys are adjusting and figuring it out, post-sticky stuff, and it's kind of fun to watch. You guys are getting a little bit more artful by necessity. What's your take yeah. on that? Yeah, I think
2: it, I think it's a really good point. I mean, I think the good pitchers were still going to be good pitchers because everybody is coming back, right? So I think yep. that makes sense that they would start to make adjustments. I think the adjustment, the one that I think is really fascinating, Jim McCaffrey wrote a great piece in The Athletic, I think it was last week, talking about Garrett Richards. Richards was pretty open about the fact that he'd always used sunscreen and rosin, and now that he couldn't anymore, he didn't yep. feel like he could pitch at the level that he wanted to. I mean, he was always hard running fastball and, and you know, kind of like a, a really nasty two-plane break breaking ball. And he's made the adjustment to adding a changeup for really the first time in his career and being committed to throw it and a slower curveball. And so, like, seeing guys make the adjustment – I think it's really cool because the best players are going to find ways to adjust and the best competitors are going to find ways to keep their teams in games while they're trying to learn a little bit more about what, what they do best. And so I think it's, I think it's going to be fun. I agree with you. I think it's fun to see the adjustment that they're making and seeing how they can still, you know, go out and pitch like Cole did last night.
0: Hmm. Um, Mike, what's the national perspective on, I mean, actually you're obviously a local guy with WGN ties, but why did the Cubs thing end the way it's about to end? Uh, it, what, what, what do people say from from the national perspective when they talk about why the Cubs thing? A, a success, of course, but they don't get back to a World Series and it kind of falls apart and seemingly is about to fall off the table in full here in 2021.
2: Well, I mean, I think, I think you know, at this point, the national vultures are kind of circling, right? But I yes. think if you are to take some perspective on it, You took one of the most morbid franchises, maybe this side of the Phillies, and you went to the postseason, what, 15, 16, 17, 18, and times in a six-year span? I mean, if, if your definition of success is only going to be based on making it to the World Series, you're never going to feel very good about yourself. It was a really good run. They couldn't get over the hump to get back to another World Series, but they got a championship. You know, and they did it for a shorter run. I think. I think mean, to me, the thing that's interesting is that they've done it for a shorter run than I thought they were going to be able to, either by not extending players or, you know, really when Theo first recognized like three years ago that they probably needed to start changing over some of the core guys. The fact that they didn't do that, I think, is the thing that's a little bit or would be a little bit disappointing in terms of of them, you know, not keeping this window open longer than the seven years that it has been. But it, it's, I mean. I don't know that there's anything other than that to it, and you know they their offense you know continued to strike out the, um at a significant rate and and higher than it did in the championship year and again like the the they went to the well with the same personnel, and maybe it's it's a lot of good players that you just needed somebody else different in the mix with and that's why it didn't work
0: yeah uh I think so, and we've watched it every year as they try to change that mix of who's there in the uh, it, it, in the lineup and try to diversify it um, a little bit. Mike, uh, do you get to uh, call the Celebrity Softball game, or are you forced uh, yeah, to call yeah. the Celebrity Softball game?
2: No, I'll be heading to the draft for the, uh, as soon as we're done here. So we have the four of us that are doing the game. It's, it's me, Jim Duquette, who's my radio partner, and then Jim Bowden and Grant Paulson the four of us will be doing the futures game today. And then as soon as we're done, we're going over to the Belco theater and we're anchoring our draft coverage tonight. So it's kind of the coolest best day ever.
0: (laughs) I love you saying that. I'm not going to hide
2: it, man. Like, Don't. I love the prospect and I I love this draft. And I know you're going to talk to Kevin later. He and I were texting about it the other day. Like, this draft is weird, man. In like a lot of really good ways. So if there's good players at the top, but nobody seems to like one over the other. And there's it's really deep because they only went five rounds last year. So there's a lot of these like veteran college performers that are going to be pretty decent pros all the way. You know, even if they don't make the big leagues, they'll be important to organizations. And you're going to have those guys like maybe all the way through the 15th round. It's a really interesting draft.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. So just five rounds last year, just 20 rounds this year. So it's the second fewest rounds ever. And all those holdovers that you mentioned that stayed in college. So you got that kind of double graduating class like some people are seeing here. And, And you're saying potential pretty quick pros from college ranks all the way through to the 15th round. It's fascinating. I wonder... I wonder what the fear is these days, if there is any left, for, you know, elevating college guys to your roster to help in a playoff run as quickly as some teams have been doing it in recent years. Maybe we're going to see even more of it based on this draft.
2: I mean, I think that that's I think it's it's an interesting thought. I mean, I think if you can identify the right value in those, you know, those later rounds this year, you know, I think you can end up with players that far exceed your expectations and i think a big reason for it is like listen this is here's one of the things that scouts are really struggled with is they of the data on college players that they normally would because they didn't have a cape they really didn't have a sophomore season uh and then they just had this year and guys hadn't played in a year and so the first month or six weeks didn't look very good so it's i think that's the other thing is you're going to all of a sudden we're going to turn around and we're going to look at you know, somebody coming out of the 12th round or 10th round or 8th round or something and moving quickly and being like, how did everybody miss this? And the whole reason is because the world shut down for a year.
0: Yeah. Uh, do, you have a, do you have a preference on lighter or rocker? The two Vandy righties and former Vandy guys in the bigs, for those who don't know, Sonny Gray, Walker Bueller, David Price, Carson Fulmer, unfortunately White Sox fans. Uh, are you a lighter guy or a rocker guy?
2: Uh, I'll take the bat.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: I love like the first pitch I ever saw Kumar throw as a high schooler was 98 miles an hour. So I've been in on Kamar for a long time. I love him, character, makeup, like everything off the charts. But his fastball gets hit, and Lighter really is a control over command pitcher who has a fastball that's really good, but his secondaries are kind of inconsistent and hits a funky delivery. So they're both really good. I think the fact that Lighter can get so many swings and misses with his fastball puts him near the top of the draft. But kind of like the high school shortstop, a little bit better and. I'm standing there in a position where I had to pick between one of the three. Like I probably would take Jordan Waller or Cole Watson or, or Marcelo Meyer. So yeah, I hate to be the party
0: pooper on that. know no, it's good. Yeah, no, it, it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating. A lot of the the high school shortstops with longer time horizons but uh, higher upside. It's completely understandable. All right, Farron, get going with your greatest day ever. Go enjoy yourself. And thanks for starting it with me, man. Appreciate it.
2: Hey, man. Anytime. Good to talk to you.
0: All right, you too. That's Mike Farron, voice of the Diamondbacks, voice of the Arizona Fall Leagues, and voice of the Futures game. He is knee-deep in in Colorado prospect heaven. Is he right there? 312-644-6767 is the phone number. A little bit later this hour, we'll check in in New York and see if they really are targeting Chris Bryant and see what they might uh, have to offer in such cases. But now the phone lines are open And I want to ask you, Cub fans, why we ended up here at 2021 with this roster perhaps about to be broken up in full. And if not in full, a lot of pieces, 12 free agents pending, possibly four more who have option years how did we end up here, Cub fans? 312-644-6767 is the phone number. That's also how you can text as the text zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at com. Kevin Goldstein at the top of the hour. We'll check into New York towards the bottom of the hour, but lines open for you right now on the score.
3: Every situation is different, and I think that um, you know, we're in a different situation now than we were in 2012. And so... Um, the decisions we're making, the processes we're going through are, are completely different. So um, I think that that, I, yeah, that label is certainly something to be avoid, avoided. I think that people talk about rebuilds when, when you're doing what we did in 2012. Um, and like I said, we, we are going to have roster turnover. Um, we, need to, we need to do that. that. I think, like I said, that was inevitable. You, you, you control guys for six or seven years and, you know, you know that it doesn't last forever, um, as far as that, that that initial club control. So we'll have turnover, but yeah, I think this is this is certainly not um, a rebuild by any kind of definition that we'd be using from our past.
0: That's Jed Hoyer on Thursday, in the midst of a uh, very transparent, very clear. State of the Cubs address telling you what it's going to be. And I know a ton of people have talked about it. It's not going to be a rebuild. So what do you call it? Is it a reload? All those sorts of things. The real question is how long, if at all, are they going to not prioritize winning on the major league level? They had three seasons with which to have that freedom beginning in 2012. And they utilized them. Utilized him and then started going for it in 15, and they won what 97 games? Had an unbelievable year in the bonus year, win the wild card game, win a series against the Cardinals that I will never forget in 2015, then get swept by the Mets and lose zero percent of the optimism and excitement going into the season zero percent. Then they achieve it in 2016. And since then, it's been an awkward, at times, slog. But it also has been five playoff appearances in six years, as our previous guest mentioned. And yet here we are preparing for the sell-off and wondering how you think we got here. I know how I think we got here, but wonder how you think we got here. And um, we'll also hear from Jed on with our Lawrence Holmes in a few minutes from, uh, on Friday, talking about the offense but before we get to that this is Jerry in Iowa on 670 the score Jerry good morning welcome in on hit and run how are you
1: hey great Matt and uh great job on the score I've been listening to you from uh, Iowa on the score for many years and you always do a great job I think that you know there are many reasons why we are here but by and large I believe it has to do with the addiction to the launch angle And I think that this is an organization that needs a philosophical change in offensive strategy. The Dodgers created the blueprint to attack the Cubs core in the 2017 NLCS with high fastball after high fastball after high fastball with sliders away. And they would not allow themselves to pitch anything belt on down. And the rest of the league took notice of that and has copied it, and this team, with its core, has never adjusted to it. And it's been very frustrating to watch, and the two of the guys that this organization has never replaced in the lineup, Dexter Fowler and Ben Zobrist, who provided an incredible amount of balance to the rest of the group that really swings from the teals time and again no matter the situation. And while it's great to have somebody like Javi Baez in the lineup, we need to have somebody like that. You don't need six of them. You need other guys that can do the little things, uh, have the appropriate plate approach situationally uh, when the game is on the line or you know even early in the game when you've got a, a runner at third base with less than two outs. You don't need Ian Happ swinging from his heels. Ian Happ is a perfect example of where this organization went sideways. This is a guy with a skill set who could have been Lenny Dykstra and they wanted him to be Daryl Strawberry. And that the, is irony, really...
0: the, the irony there, Jerry, is that Lenny Dykstra himself halfway through his career got tired of being Lenny Dykstra and, and took a whole bunch of PEDs and bulked up and became a completely different animal by the time he got to, uh, to Philadelphia. Um, but, you know, Jerry, I can't disagree with anything that you just said. Now, one thing. That's, it, it wasn't even in the NLCS in 2017. It was in a regular season series in August of 2017. When, I think it was August, might have been July, out in L.A. when the Dodgers dominated the Cubs like that. And I remember the articles after the series, like, uh-oh, they found something. Wow. How will the Cubs adjust? They didn't. They, they ended up going out and getting different kinds of hitters to change that lineup. Whether it would be Daniel Murphy or Nick Castellanos or, you know, they'd go and look for those kind of guys this year. It's Matt Duffy. They drafted one who's different than Nico Horner. Um, And, you know, the one thing that I will disagree with you uh, is that the philosophy did change. It changed within the organization. New uh, developmental systems, new developmental bosses a couple off seasons ago. Remember, they didn't change the big league roster too much, but they did change a lot down below. Jason McLeod moved sideways from scouting to uh, the big league club. And new director of hitting and Justin Stone, new director of pitching and Craig Breslow. Different philosophies, updated tech. So the pitch lab and everything that has come with it, it did change. Just took too long to change, and they got kind of passed by. And in the meantime, those hitters in that lineup did not adjust in full. And we saw three different hitting coaches in three seasons as they tried to adjust. And we heard how the message needed to be nuanced and how you had to get it through. And some it didn't work. Finally working for Kyle Schwarber in Washington with the help of that hitting coach, Kevin Long, who Kyle decided to trust and started to do some things differently. Hit the ball off a high T in uh, the cage. Let's put that T higher, shall we? Oh, and that's just part of it. But, you know, Chris Bryant worked with his dad, Mike Bryant, on some very specific changes this past offseason. Stand taller. Think swinging down. You're still swinging up because that's the natural body flow. But think swinging down and that levels them off just a little bit. Figured it out. Took too long, took too long. And some of the guys could not adjust. And they had a lineup full of too many of the same people. And in the meantime, they could not develop their own pitching. So they had to go out and buy pitching. Sometimes that did not work. Whether it was for a season of you, Darvish, and he was broken or whether it was Brandon Morrow, and he was broken when he just got here. Or whether it was Tyler Chatwood. All three of those in that same fateful offseason. So sometimes it works, and sometimes it does not work. I want to hear Jed Hoyer with our Lawrence Holmes from earlier in the week talking about um, the, what, what an offense uh, needs to be these days and keys to the composition of a successful offense see if he touches on some of the themes we're discussing right here
3: well i mean i I think you know for me you know i I never want to get too far away from the basics right i think that you know i still think you know getting on base is is crucially important um but i do think that you know where uh where the game has has changed and that you there's no point in denying it is i think that you know having the ball in play is, is really valuable and you know, there's so many, there's so much um, velocity and 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 stuff in the game now, and some some of that stuff may kick down a hair with the the substance uh, ban or the or the or the rules being enforced. But I think mean, nonetheless, I think that you know, having um, having a, a a functional lineup does involve you know a sort of a combination of of guys that you know you can accept some strikeouts for guys that hit homers, but you need some guys in the in the lineup that can you know, move the ball and keep the line moving because there's you know. It used to be that um there wasn't that many pitchers in the game that could go out and you know it sort of you know strike out guys with, with you know with one out and guys a second third were, was going to get two strikeouts to get out of the inning and now there's so many guys with stuff like that that you need some some guys in the lineup that can that can move the ball and i do think um the most functional you know, lineup we had this year was certainly uh, in may when duffy was playing well and nico was playing well i feel like we were we were able to have some, some better rallies and, and, score, and score runs at a, at a more efficient clip. And even when I look back on 2016, I feel like you know, some of the guys in that lineup like Oberest or Montero or, or Dex uh, were pretty good in those spots and pretty good at, at making contact. And I think sometimes we probably got away from that a bit over the last few years, and I think that's something that's really important. So I don't want to lose sight of you know, getting on base and you know, to score runs, but I do think that contact is, is pretty critically important uh, in the modern game.
0: Wow, there you go. There you go. That's a real good answer, real clear answer, and he references some of the names that we have all referenced, and I think we know now. I think we know you need that mix. You absolutely have always needed that mix.
4: You know what, I I had it. It it speaks, the beauty of listening to the Cubs front office dating back to when Theo Epstein took over in 2011 into 2012 is the transparency. We talk about it all the time. They talk about it straight up how it is always, Pretty much, and I think they respect the fans' intelligence in doing so. Right when you when you they, we know what's going on. They're trying to be as matter of fact as possibly can be without any wiggle room for questions, and they back it up with their decision making and their moves at least so far. And I think Jed Hoyer has taken a lot of that from Theo.
0: Well, thank you. That's Mike Rankin producing the show. Sean Anderson with the week off. the the one The one big variable to that, though, the one big problem with that Mike and I agree with you is after the 2018 season when Theo said something broke in our offense and they didn't change anything with personnel they changed things in the front office they changed things in the development but he said something is broken and then they hoped to just coach it up they hoped to teach that nuance hope to get these guys to buy in more to contact tried to coach them up and it didn't work That's that's a big, big disconnect for a lot of people is it's the same issues and the same problems that have existed. And they just did not change it up enough. You're right. Since you're right, since since 2016 in the postseason, Baez, Bryant and Rizzo in the postseason since 2016 have gone 19 for one hundred and forty one. That's a one thirty four batting average with 51 strikeouts and only six walks. Those three guys did not adjust, especially in the postseason against elite pitching. And it bit them in the butt year after year after year. So I, I don't know. And those are still the three guys we're sitting here talking about, who they want back, who they want to keep of those three guys. Knowing what Jed knows, watching what he has watched, and hearing what he just said, do you think he wants to keep... Any of all those in his heart of hearts as a offensive baseball schemer, as a strategist, as a team builder, does he want to keep those?
4: I mean, that's the difficult question, right, Spies? Because you, you talked about 2018 being where it started to continuously go downhill. I think from then to now... They were committed to that core, one, because they won in 16. The career numbers suggested that, hey, maybe they could be more consistent, but it just Mm -hmm. hasn't happened. Over time, now things are becoming clear. There's no other choice but to move on.
0: I think, and and how vast the move-on is, how severe the the clean sweep is, I guess what I'm saying is don't be surprised if it's a lot more clean, a lot more severe than you're even expecting because – the, the pervasive reasons are, are, are obvious, and they know it, and Jed is saying it now. Nice and out loud. Um, let's check in on a possible targeter of Cubs assets with a friend of the show, friend of the station, Wayne Randazzo, part of the Mets broadcast crew. will join us next. Are they really interested in Chris Bryant? How would that play? And what else might the Mets do? And just some good baseball conversation with Wayne. That's next on Hit and Run on the Score.
3: This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station.
0: It is 670 The Score. It's hit and run on a Sunday morning. It is All-Star Week, but it's really All-Star Sunday. As MLB has revamped things and coming off a pandemic where none of this existed, It all feels very foreign and kind of exciting to have the Futures game this afternoon, have the MLB draft tonight, and we steamroll directly into Home Run Derby, and then the All-Star game on Tuesday. And somewhere in there will be a break, theoretically, for one of the broadcast voices of the New York Mets, and that is Wayne Randazzo, who joins us right now on Hit and Run on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. What's up, Wayne? How are you, man?
5: What's up, Spiegs? How are you doing?
0: I am very, very good. Um, you and Howie Rose sound terrific together. Hope you are enjoying yourself. It is, uh, it, you know, it, it's the way baseball used to be with two play by play guys. Are you enjoying the mix? I'm sure.
5: Yeah, well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's it's been great. You know, the Mets are in first place, and and working with Howie, who's, who's really a, a New York broadcasting icon, is, is really a treat for me, and, and to be able to sit next to him. You know, a lot of people around here, you know, they always ask, you know, what's it like to sit next to Howie Rose and do the games with him, and I always say, you know, growing up in Chicago, that I don't really know who Howie was. So it was it's it's not it's not so intimidating to me because you know, Howie is not this incredible icon to me as a kid, uh, like Harry Carey or like it would be a lot more intimidating to sit next to Pat Hughes and call a game than it would be uh to do with Howie. But uh you know, Howie's incredible and he's been a, a wonderful mentor to me and he's one of the best play by play guys in the business and you know, it's it's an honor for me to be able to do this with him. So uh, it's been really good and and you know about half the teams probably do the two play by play guy thing, and I think uh it's it's one way to do it and and certainly there's a, a second way with a play by play guy and a color analyst on radio as well so uh just that's, fortunate to be in this position
0: i didn't realize that we're uh, that it was as many as half the teams doing it that way that's that that's really interesting um because yeah. Because it, it, as I said, it's the way it used to be, and then he got locked into the with the former player and broadcaster thing. This way is an opportunity for conversation in a different way, perhaps than uh, than the ball player and broadcaster combo.
5: Yeah, and I think too, you know, there's it's tough to do now. Pat does eight innings of play by play, and yeah. for a, a long season like this, that's a lot. And these games are slower now. You know, it's not a two and a half hour, two hour, twenty minute game where it's pretty snappy and you can just focus on the game itself there is a lot of room for conversation and there is a lot of room for storytelling and different things than how baseball broadcasts used to be a long mm-hmm. time ago so i think that it, it does help that conversation go and it also gives the play-by-play guys a break just from not having to do nine innings of play-by-play every night which is a lot only a few guys really do it i think john sterling is one of them and a couple others i'm not sure if lynn's doing all nine on on, on the white Sox radio but it's uh, it's it's something that's not typically done anymore
0: 670, the score is where you are. Uh, look, that's on another station. I don't even comment on the White Sox broadcast, <laughs> Wayne. Come on. Um, it, it's hit and run talking to Wayne Randazzo here. Okay, so I don't think you sent the text to Chris Bryant in the offseason that said, Welcome to the New York Mets. Uh, we don't know who did. It was, it was uncalled for, and Bryant had a moment where he thought he was going to be a Met. Is there a chance that he still will be? Tell me about the third base situation in New York and the perceived level of interest in kb
5: there there is certainly a hole at third base for the Mets. i think that's that's first and foremost is that's the one position on this team where you can look around and say yes they can improve here you know jonathan vr has done a really good job at third base for them he's a a dynamic bat for them from both sides of the plate and a a creative base runner you know he's a guy who can get some things done jd davis is coming back soon from injury they expect to back next weekend And he's not going to be just handed the everyday third base job when he comes back. He's going to have to share it with VR. So that is a position where the Mets can improve. You know, I think the biggest thing for the Mets right now is that their farm system has five or six really good players, good prospects. And then when you get to number seven or eight on that list, it's a significant drop off. It is not it does not go ABCD. It goes from A to D pretty quickly as far as the prospects go. So it's, it's about what the Mets feel like they can afford to give away and still keep developing their farm system, which they're trying to do.
0: Hmm. Um, now, it, it, so obviously KB has played, I think, 47 games in the outfield for the Cubs this year. It's pretty remarkable how little third base he has played. Would that versatility be useful for the Mets or not so much? It's always been a crowded outfield there the past few years.
5: Yeah, it it can be a crowded outfield. But, you know, I think that any team, especially in the National League, really still values versatility because they can move places, pieces around. You know, just because if the Mets did get Chris Bryant, it wouldn't necessarily be the end of Jonathan Villar's playing time. They still would want to get him in there and get him some opportunities. And playing him at third base would be a natural thing for them to, to put Chris in the outfield. You know, right now the Mets have Three left-handed hitting outfielders, basically. Conforto, Brandon Nimmo, and Dominic Smith, all bat left-handed. You know, Kevin Pillar is a good role player as far as the outfield goes as a right-handed bat, but they don't really have a serious right-handed hitting outfielder. So Bryant not only could fill that hole at third base, but he could also give them a right-handed hitting option in the outfield, which they don't really have. So they certainly would take advantage of that.
0: All right, so if, um, if you're not going to part with some of those top five prospects for KB, um, who do we have to throw in? You want Andrew Chafin? You want a real good setup lefty to get to Edwin Diaz, who looks as nasty as he ever has looked?
5: You know, they, uh, they could use another lefty. Aaron Loop's their lefty right now, and he's kind of a guy. They don't, they don't really save him for the, for the lefties in the division. Uh, when the Mets play the Braves, it's not like, oh, Loop can only face Freddie Freeman, and we have to make sure that happens. They don't really operate that way. You know, they feel like the right-handed relievers they have can get everybody out. Seth Lugo's been great for them. Trevor Mays had a good year. Jerry's Familia looks like he's turned the clock back five years to when he was a dominant closer. So there is a lot on the way to Edwin Diaz already. So I don't know if the Mets are necessarily looking at a relief option. They need a starting pitcher really badly. They've got three right now. DeGrom, Stroman, and Taiwan Walker. They hope that Carlos Carrasco comes back soon. Noah Syndergaard is probably not coming back anytime soon. So I would think a starting pitcher would be really high on their list.
0: Mm, and, uh, you know, so it's interesting. Only one lefty in that pen. Are, are they going to be comfortable doing that way? Some of, those, some of those righties you mentioned must have pretty good splits against the lefties, Lugo specifically.
5: Yeah, I mean, they really haven't been burned by it. There hasn't really been a moment this season yet where, They faced Hmm. Bryce Harper or Freeman or any of those guys, Soto or Schwarber, and said, oh, if they would have had a lefty here, things might have been different. You know, Loop has done a nice job against right-handers as he has against left-handers. They haven't really been hurt for it, and uh, they feel very comfortable with how their bullpen has been, and they should because their bullpen has been pretty lights out for the most part this season. So uh, I think that uh, a lefty in the bullpen, sure, that might be nice, and and beefing up the bullpen is always good when you're thinking about October but I would think that they would need a bat and a starting pitcher before they thought about a bullpen arm.
0: Jacob deGrom is human. Three straight starts with some earned runs given up. Uh, anything different about him uh, post, uh, post-sticky enforcement? And I don't ask that in an accusatory way. I, I, I'm comfortable talking openly about it just because the whole league is adjusting.
5: Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I think what he was doing to begin the season, you know, there was some <laughs> aggressive to the mean that you would think would happen a little bit with Jacob. He's still got an ERA right around. Looks like he's around 110 right now.
4: 108, so he's yeah. Still,
5: yeah, he's still having a, a great, great season. And, you know, it's been a little bit different lately, but he gave up three runs in the first against Atlanta a couple starts ago. It was a uh, Austin Riley took a pitch out of the ballpark that was 100 on the outside corner and a pretty startling home run that he hit. And then after that home run, DeGrom struck out 14 guys. So Uh, You know, some of it is just because a a run or two here or there is going to beef up that ERA because he's not giving up any runs this year. Um, You know, I don't think there's really anything too different about him. He's he's throwing his slider a little bit more than he was throwing the fastball early, but he Mm -hmm. was almost like a one-pitch pitcher the first time through the order. He was just pumping fastballs about 80% of the time. So I think he's trying to mix up his pitches a little bit more to not be as predictable. That's really the only thing that I think that's, that's hampered him. His spin rates aren't really adjusting any differently. He's not really a guy who would rely on that uh, anyway. And I, I think DeGrom is uh, is pretty much the same pitcher he was before June 3rd.
0: I'm trying to think back to like, you know, six years ago when the Cubs and the Mets were were – you know, mirror images of each other with the Cubs doing it, trying to do it with hitters and Mets trying to do it with pitchers. And if we learned anything from those overall uh, developmental trends, I remember there was a little while where we were saying, oh, Cubs were right to do it that way. Uh, then here we are six years later. It's like there's only a few guys uh, left. I mean, DeGrom is really, is really all that stuff, although Zach Wheeler is phenomenal right now in, in, yeah. in Philly. So, and, and any lessons we pull from that five or six years later here? When?
5: The lesson for both teams is to never stop developing players. I think that's really <laughs> what both teams have learned. You know, you can't just rely on the few guys you develop and hope for the best. you got to keep that train rolling. And yes. uh, the Cubs didn't, and the Mets really haven't either. And I think both teams are, uh, are trying to fill in the blanks now from there. You know what the Mets did after that is they did start to develop some hitters. A lot of guys in their lineup are homegrown. Brandon Nimmo, Pete Alonzo, McNeil. Dominic Smith, you know, these guys are largely homegrown players. So they did do a good job of starting to develop some offense, which I think has helped this team out quite a bit. But, you know, just just keep that farm system as developed as you can, which I think as we see the Dodgers every year turning out prospect after prospect, they're the one team I think that you can say has done it really right.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. They kept on developing, kept relentlessly applying the pressure there, and that's why they've got arm after arm after arm and – Pitch, hitter after hitter to, to swap in. Wayne, thanks so much. Enjoy your all-star break and uh, continued success. We'll be listening.
5: All right. Same to you, Speak. Thanks a lot.
0: You got it, man. That's Wayne Rendazzo of the Mets broadcast crew. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. Remember that? It was like, is, is it the right to do with the Mets' way with all the arms or right to do with the Cubs' way with all the position players? Uh, either way, you need reinforcements. I still think position players is sensible, um, but you... I, you know, it'd be nice to have the pitching infrastructure and developmental skills of the Cleveland Indians, and to also then draft uh, position players, but boy, those, those Indians just keep churning out guys after guys after guys, all hitting the wall a little bit now, as the injury bug has just been too much. Lots to come here before hit and run leaves you, an extended version today, around 12.35, but... Before that, we will talk to Jessica Kleinschmidt of the Bay Area um, baseball coverage crew from NBC Sports. We will talk to her about the Oakland A's and the San Francisco Giants and what they might be targeting from the Cubs and or otherwise. Uh, But coming up next, let's talk draft with Kevin Goldstein of Fangraphs. We'll do that next right here on 670 The Score.
3: Plus notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with
2: permission.